So, good morning. My name is Jody Ward, and I am so happy to be with you this morning. Um, we are continuing our series through the book of Acts. So if you were with us last week, Joe told us we were going to kind of leapfrog over one section because he wanted to talk about being sad, which was super helpful. Um, I loved it. I loved all of it, which is a big surprise to you guys. Um, let's talk about our feelings, you guys. Um, and so we're just kind of hopping over that story, but join us next week because that's going to just be wild. Okay, there's sorcerers and miracles and mysteries and stuff gets weird. So get ready. It's going to be super great. Uh, and Joe's taking that one. So I am here this morning and we're going to be talking about Acts 8, 26 through 40. So this story is normally, if you have little headings in your Bible, called Philip and the Ethiopian. And so Philip, you guys will remember we met back in Acts 6. So when the church, have you guys seen that little, it's like a gif or a cartoon where they're like laying the track of the train as they're driving. So it's like this, right? This is what the church is doing. They are building their community and building what the church is going to look like as we're trying to drive over it, as we're trying to do it. It's all happening in real time. If you thought it was hard enough to be a parent or a leader of anything, this was bananas. So what's happening is as the church is growing, as they are building the church, it's just getting too hard for the apostles to prioritize their preaching and their mission and also setting up like equitabletakethemameal.com. Okay, the meal train is too much for them to manage. And so they appoint seven um, godly men full of, the Holy, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to oversee the gift of grace to the church and to kind of shepherd and pastor, right, through the giving of food. And I'm sure there was lots of other stuff as they're going house to house, as they're caring for people who need care, right? They're administering the gift of grace of the church as they're building it so that the apostles can focus, right? Play to your strengths. So that's where we meet Philip, right? So he, his friend Stephen, and five other dudes, right, who don't get names but probably did a ton of hard work, um, are kind of doing the work. They're doing the stuff, right? They're visiting people. They're bringing encouragement. They are kind of serving, right? And we know two weeks ago with Mark, we heard that Stephen was arrested, kangaroo court, murdered. It was bananas, even for like already bananas rules. It was like even worse. He's murdered because everybody freaks out and loses their mind. And then the church is persecuted. The church is scattered and, and is pushed out of the city, except for the apostles who stay to safeguard the beginning of the building of the church. So we see from Acts 1, right, where Jesus says to them, you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes and you're going to be my witnesses. So think of like a ripple on a pond in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. God's building his church and nothing is going to get in the way. Unfortunately, it looks a lot harder and the way the church spreads, it would not, like, it would not be my preference. I could think of lots of other ways to move things around without being persecuted and my friends getting murdered and like really hard things, right? But God is using what is happening to, to grow the church and to fulfill what he's saying, right? That the church is going to grow. The gates of hell are not going to stand against it. It's just gonna look a little different than you thought. Read the Bible, it's just kind of how he works. So we see all of this, okay? 
and we see the trajectory of the church, right? So first it's the apostles doing the work, then we have this group of seven. Now everybody's pushed out in fear of their lives, which means that God is building his church and he's going to use everybody. You don't have to be an apostle. You don't have to be part of the Magnificent Seven. You just have to be available, right? You just have to be available. And so what we see here in the passage, right, what we're going to kind of look at today is if I could like, if it has one banner, it's God is on the move. God is moving. God's hands are all over this story. If you read the story in a newspaper, you would not believe it you would say, this is fake news, too many weird things are happening, okay? So let's read this passage together. I'm going to try not to say, this is crazy, too many times like I did this morning. All right, so verse 26 of Acts 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip, he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip said. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer was, is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Super cool, no big deal. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So, super chill story, not a lot going on, it's totally fine, right? So, <laughs> first line of the story. So the angel of the Lord appears, and I don't know if you guys like have a track record of like how things go when the angel of the Lord appears in the Bible, but like it's usually super weird, and if you've seen any veggie tales at all, people just fall over. Like that's all they do. They just fall over and talk into the sand, right? That's, that's what you get, right? Because angels are terrifying, which is why every time they show up, they have to be like, guys, be chill. Please, I'm just, I have to do a job, and if you guys keep freaking out, it's going to take a long time. I'm going to miss my other things that I have to do. Like, you guys have to be cool, right? So the angel of the Lord shows up. Philip, to his credit, just like, we don't have it recorded, right? Luke was a doctor. He was like, who was writing this book. He was probably pretty precise, but it says, Philip just did the thing. The angel says, go that way. So he's like, okay. <laughs> I got it. I have enough stories about the angel of the Lord telling people to do stuff that at this point, just do the thing. It's probably going to be fine, right? So his faith and his immediate obedience is like 
like a word. Just, we could stop now <laughs> and just be like, you guys, we need to be ready to obey when we hear a word from the Lord. And I don't know about you, I can, I can justify, I can be like, oh, I drove by somebody the other day that looked like they were trying to change their tire, and I'm like, I don't know how to change a tire, I don't know how to, should I stop? Oh, I'm busy, I gotta keep going. We ignore what the Spirit is doing so much, and thank the Lord for His grace on our lives. We ignore what He tells us all the time, and we don't even have to like hear, like we just ignore some of the really easy things, Right? We need to be a people that is ready to obey when we hear the, the spirit of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. When the Lord starts to saying things, like, just do the thing. Please just do the thing. That's kind of what they're telling us here, right? So verse 27, right? It says he started on his way and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury, all the dollar dollar bills, right? Of the Candake, which is the queen of the Ethiopians. So at this point in time, Ethiopia is like all of Africa south of the Nile, Right? It's not kind of what we would think of Ethiopia now. It's like all of it. It was super important and it was super rich. It was a very fancy country to come from. Okay? So the fact that this man is in charge of all the money means that he did not have like a 2012 Honda Civic kind of chariot. He had like the nice stuff. Okay? He was super important. Now, come on, Bible, give us a name. Give us a name. Tell me what his name was, right? Luke, so the whole time that Luke's, so Luke wrote both the book of, Luke, thank you, and he wrote the book of Acts. So he starts this story when, with Jesus' life and what he was like when he was here. He's carrying that on now. Luke's story, like this is just a little hint, it's always about the outsiders being brought in, okay? So that's kind of Luke's whole deal is he's like, all those people that were never allowed in, Jesus is saying, come on, my kingdom's for you, okay? So the fact that this man, five times in this passage, Luke calls him a eunuch, okay? Eunuch, eunuch, eunuch. So not like Stuart the banker, not like Bob the official, he just calls him a eunuch five times, which means that that detail is super important, okay? So a eunuch is just a man whose body has been cut so that he cannot have children, right? This was done when you were an important official, if you oversaw women in the palace or had access to the queen, and that was done out of respect, so that you could be a trustworthy person, and it was like, comes with the job, right? You want that job? Here's part of the package. And so what that meant was that it doesn't matter what he did, because we said he's, he's going to Jerusalem. He's trying to worship. He's curious about God. God is obviously working on him. But because of who he is, he can never fully convert to Judaism. Okay? He is, the last time I did this wrong, and thank you, Dave, for being a very good Zoomer. Okay? He is from the wrong place to be granted full access in the temple. Okay, he would have been allowed to get to the outer court. He would not have been allowed in. He was from the wrong background because he was not a Jew by birth. And he was the wrong person. Everything about his identity 
stood like a wall between him and being able to worship God. He is someone, no matter how rich, no matter how curious, no matter how much he was interested in knowing more about God, could not get through. And this is the story of Jesus coming for him. All through Luke's gospel, we hear this, right? So we see he's traveling, he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship. On his way home, he's sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah. Huh? <laughs> right? It said he had a Greek copy of the Old Testament. He, like, I don't know about you guys, I do not have a Greek copy of the Old Testament, right? He had gone out of his way. That would have been super expensive at the time. It's not just go on BibleGateway.com and have access to it all. He would have had to go out of his way to access this, right? And he's reading in the book of Isaiah. This man on the fringe is about to experience what happens when the Spirit of God is coming to pull you into his kingdom, right? So verse 29, we see the Spirit. So first we've got the angel of the Lord giving somewhat vague directions, right? Head this way. Now the Spirit of the Lord is saying, this might seem a little specific. However, go to that chariot and just like hang out, be super cool, see what happens, right? Says Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading out loud from Isaiah the prophet. The fingerprints of God are all over this story. Not one of us can say we are responsible for responding to God. God has been chasing you way longer than you think. And God has had his fingerprints on your life before you were even born. He's been coming for you, right? God's advancing his kingdom. So we get to the first question in this passage where Philip says to the guy, do you, uh, hey, psst, psst, do you understand what you're reading? And I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like the prophetic sections of the book of Isaiah are not like super easy to understand. So he answers very honestly and says, how can I? How can I understand this? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip up to sit with him. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 15, Paul breaks down how someone comes to understand, comes to believe. It says, how then can they call on the one they have believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The Lord sends, people obey, hearers believe, and call on the name of the Lord. God begins, we obey, people respond, lives get changed. So no one can boast. It's not about us. It's about God working through us to build his kingdom. The Ethiopian was right to ask how we can believe. How can I understand this? We have to both be people who are ready to hear an explanation and who have one. When somebody asks you, why do you go to church? Why do you act this way? Why are you generous? Why do you go out of your way to spend time serving people? Why do you do that? We need to be ready with an explanation. 
and we have to be willing to obey, right? We need to have eyes. So Philip, what I love here is that he's not like, well, today I am going to begin my missionary journey. And here is my list of things I'm going to do and places I'm going to go. And I sure hope the Lord blesses me. Off we go, right? Philip, by the power of the Spirit, is paying attention to what God's already doing. He, he did not get a full itinerary. If he had, he might have been like, I got a question about this whirlwind part at the end, but we'll get there, right? He didn't get a full itinerary. God just asked him to be obedient. And you guys, like, that's the thing. It's not going to get different. If you are waiting for a full itinerary of how things are going to go, like, just take your shoes off and settle in. It is not going to happen. But God is going to give you this much, and then this much, and then this much, and as you go, and as you listen to the Spirit, as you listen to what God's saying, he's going to show you what to, new de- to, what to do next. You need to be paying attention to what the Spirit is already doing so that you can come alongside and keep doing the thing. When we preach the gospel, it doesn't always look like curling your hair and putting on a microphone and standing up on a stage, okay? Sometimes preaching the gospel is showing up for someone in distress. Sometimes the good news really is just good news. Sometimes it looks like a bag of apples for a neighbor who doesn't have any. And sometimes it looks like showing up when somebody needs someone. Sometimes it looks like standing up for someone who needs an advocate. And it generally looks like as many different people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. We bear in our very beings the good news of the gospel. You have a story. The fact that you are here on the planet as you are filled with the Spirit is the story of the gospel. God's grace on your life is not just like you running, like hitting an incredible run of luck. God's grace on your life is your testimony and is the proof that this is real. I'm not just making this up, right? God's grace on my life is the proof that we use to preach with our lives that God is real and that how, when we see our changed lives, you know, I love when Gary says, if you had known me a while ago, you would know the difference between me from before and me now. And that change in our lives, whether you've had a radical change or a steady transformation into the likeness and character of Jesus is a testimony, and that is how you preach good news to a world filled with questions. So Philip here is about to explain what this meant, right? So here is the passage that the eunuch was reading. It says, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, question number two, please tell me, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now here's where I would have preferred for Dr. Luke, who had given us like the full rundown from Stephen before the Sanhedrin, could have just filled us in on what Philip said. But if we take where he started, 
and where they ended up, which was dripping wet on the side of the road. Here is what would have had to be included, right? We see from the very beginning in Eden, the Garden of Eden, when humans chose lies over love and said, I got this. And sin entered the world and it breaks our hearts and it breaks our relationships and it breaks our world. That Jesus was always the rescue plan. The whole story of the Old Testament is people trying and saying, God, I really want to do the thing. You're the guy. We're with you. And then failing miserably. And then saying, okay, but that was bad. Thank you for giving us another chance. Thank you for your grace. Thanks for coming back. You're the guy. We want to do the thing. We're your people. And crashing and burning even harder. And again and again. And, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And it's the story of God's faithfulness to a faithless people. And the story of his grace to people who really, really mess it up. Because they cannot fix their sin problem. Sin has busted us and we cannot fix ourselves. All of this trying and one rule, 10 rules, 600 and blah, whatever rules, we can't keep them because we're broken. We cannot fix it and Jesus was always the answer because he's the only one that could ever fix it. From the beginning to the New Testament where we see Jesus coming to earth, fully God, fully man, living like God with skin on, showing us what he looks like, teaching, healing, caring, flipping tables in the church, pulling people in who have always been kept out and saying God's kingdom's for you. If you feel like someone who has always been kept out, God's kingdom is for you. The good news of the gospel is that first given to the Jews, now to the Gentiles, everything is fulfilled in Jesus. This same Jesus, knowing that he would pay the price of sin, knowing that he was going to die, came obedient to the will of his Father, which is why he fulfilled this passage when he's arrested and tried in a kangaroo court and trumped up charges. He fulfills this. He is led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. He was beaten and humiliated and killed because he knew that sacrificing his perfect life as a substitute for ours in payment for the deep price of sin and the space that that put between God and us would reconcile us to the Father. No more were we separated from God. By fulfilling the law and the prophet, prophets, he freed us from being bound to the law to being bound to a new covenant of grace. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for sins once for all. Not once for some, 
not once for people who can manage to get it together. Christ died for sins once for all because the payment for sin was made in the body and death and resurrection of Jesus. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 13, walks us through what, it, what we have to do to become a part of God's family. Now, it's not like the eunuch who would have had to move and change and even do all of these things to get kind of close. It says this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the grave, the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and you're justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scriptures say, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference now between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so Jesus knew that by dying on the cross for us and trading his perfect life as a payment for our sin, he would be permanently paying the price of sin. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to come to the Father? It starts right here. You come to me. In this new covenant of grace, our salvation is not based on us and how we perform and who we are. It is based entirely on putting our faith in Jesus Christ. What a glorious hope for a person like me. After Philip finishes telling the eunuch about Jesus, we come to our third question. And the scripture says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water in the desert. Super weird. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. Not expecting that, right? What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Baptized? Wait a minute. What's baptism? Right? It's not like the church is your local community pool where you have to rinse off before you get in. That's not what we're doing here, right? Baptism is a symbol of you declaring that your identity is now in Jesus, right? Jesus was died, buried, and raised to life. And so when we participate in baptism, we are saying with our bodies, this is the gospel. Jesus died, was buried, and was raised to life. And I want to die to myself and to be bound to the law. I'm gonna be buried with Jesus so that I can be raised to walk in newness of life. So I can be raised to a new way. I don't have to be a slave to sin anymore because that person's dead. That's a great way to get out of something, you die. People fake their deaths all the time to get out of stuff, right? <laughs> what we're saying here is me, my desires, my way, me, 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 is dead. And I want to be raised to live in the power that Jesus provides. It's a public declaration 
of our identity, having left our old life behind, choosing to be a new creation in hidden in Christ. Right? So maybe for you, right, your block to baptism is kind of like this. Maybe you're not from the wrong background, but maybe you have a past that you can't let go. I cried earlier, and I'm going to try not to. You guys would be super surprised if that happened. I don't do it very often. <laughs> Jody, this, sound, this all sounds great. I want to be part of God's kingdom. You have no idea what I've done. I've seen people put this like a weight around their necks. And they say things like, I've made my bed, now I have to lie in it. I've hurt my family, they'll never forgive me. I burned too many bridges, there's no way home. And that is a lie. You do not have to leave this around your neck because Jesus has paid for this and it has to kneel at the foot of the cross. It has no power over you when you are at the foot of the cross. It cannot disqualify you when you are at the foot of the cross. This doesn't hold you any longer. It bows to Jesus because his sacrifice was sufficient. Maybe you're not from the wrong place. But maybe you've got some behavior that you just can't shake. Maybe you think, well, Jody, it's nice that I can come to church, but I can't. I can't get baptized. I can't stand up in front of people and tell them that I want to live a good life. Maybe when I quit smoking. Maybe when I get my addictions under control. Maybe when I'm older. Maybe if I were younger. If your behavior was what was ever going to get you in, I don't know, like you guys have met me, I've met most of you, our behavior's not getting us anywhere. <laughs> it really isn't. I mean, and I like all of you guys. <laughs> in Jesus' kingdom, in the covenant of grace, our good behavior is not what gets us in, and our bad behavior is not what keeps us out. Do not disqualify yourself for something that the power of the Holy Spirit can deal with. There is nothing that you are experiencing that cannot be brought into submission by the grace of God which we have access to because of the cross. Maybe you're not the wrong kind of person like the eunuch was. But you've just got sin like the rest of us. Your broken heart and your broken relationships in this broken world 
just keep you stuck. Praise be to God. This was dealt with once and for all by Jesus. And it is a particular kind of pride to think that your sin is too much to die at the foot of the cross. Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient, which means enough. He paid the price that we were incapable of paying. We don't have to do this anymore. We don't have to try and fail and try and fail for thousands of years, still feeling separated from God because Jesus paid the price. So now everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If there was ever a time for a Joe Crummy hallelujah, that's where it is. <laughs> hallelujah. God's building his church, both here in Acts and here in Fredericton. And we are moving from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's not going to look like the geography it would have looked like in Acts. We're going from the people in the middle to the people on the edges to the people nobody ever thought was coming in. And the Holy Spirit is coming and advancing his kingdom for everyone. We cannot keep God's perfect laws. Who could even try? Jesus is sufficient. So, verse 38, everything's fine. Look, here's water. What can we stand in the way of me getting baptized? So they gave orders to stop the chariot, hopped out, jumped in the water. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. If you want to be baptized, we would love to celebrate with you. I feel like my cheeks still hurt from smiling from the last baptism we had, where we dunked half the McGuigan crew, right? It's such a joy to witness people who have chosen to follow Jesus make that public declaration. So if that's you, we already have people on the list. I'm going to wait till it warms up just a titch, just a little, okay? But we would love to baptize you if you haven't been baptized yet and you want to. So after this, just like the beginning of the story, things just get a little weird, okay? So we started with the angel of the Lord rocking up. Now we see uh, it's just going to get weird, okay? So Philip just like Mario warp whistles away to Azotus, about 20 miles away. So if you didn't grow up playing Nintendo, that's just like a, some kind of whirlwind. He just was here and then he's not. And then the eunuch is like, okay, VB chill, super fine. This is all normal. This happens all the time. Guys just disappear, goes home rejoicing. I imagine him getting back in his chariot, dripping all over like whatever's on the floor. All the servants are like, geez, this is going to be a lot to clean up, right? Hope I'm not on laundry duty later, right? It's not going to take the eunuch long to keep reading in the book of Isaiah. He was at 53. It's not going to take him long to land on 56. And I, it's like, won't he do it? Like, the, the Lord just put that there just for him, for someone who's been excluded for so long to read down the, the page and see in Isaiah 56, verses 4 and 5. 
This is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them, I will give within my temple walls. What's the, what's the temple now? The church. Within the temple walls. A memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Come on. You can't make this stuff up. It's just there. God's building his church. And it is for everyone. Even if they weird us out. You are not disqualified from belonging because of any of this junk, because Jesus has already paid for it. If you want to follow Jesus today, you can do that. We'll pray at the end. It is not difficult. There's not seven steps. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's it. By faith, you are justified. If you want to be baptized, let me know. It's the best. If you're ready, if you feel that right now, right, if you're ready to make that public declaration of faith, let us know, please. If you want to be like Philip, if you want to be more aware of what God's doing, you want to lift your head up out of the sorrow and the busyness and the stuff that needs to get done so that you can see what God's doing, so that you can co-labor with what the Spirit's already started. We're going to pray that the Spirit would fill you. And if you're like the Ethiopian and you just want to go home rejoicing, I want to pray that God will renew the joy of your salvation. That this isn't just going to be something, well, I come to church because I'm supposed to. Well, you know, yeah, I guess I'm a part of stuff, but that's a lot. We want to renew the joy of your salvation. This is good news. And it is good that we remind ourselves of this. So if you're able, why don't you stand and I'll pray and then the band is going to close us out. Mm. Father, we thank you that we have your scriptures to read these banana stories, to recognize that, God, you are on the move. You are building your church and it's for everyone. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that wants to follow Jesus, God, I pray that they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that you were raised from the dead. Father, if anyone wants to be baptized, I pray that you would give them courage. Don't let that heartbeat just go to waste. Don't don't let them say, well, I felt that, but I don't want to be a bother. God, I just pray that you would um, give them courage. Father, all of us ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to have eyes to see what you're doing and ears to hear what you're doing. God, we want to be quick to obey when you are saying things. God, we want to co-labor with what the Spirit is doing as you build your church. And Father, this morning, would you renew the joy of our salvation? Would you fill our hearts? Would you pour your perfect love into our hearts as you renew joy in our lives? We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.